You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Into the World Series Game 1 last night. We were recording ahead of Game 2, episode number 31 of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show podcast. So though you are all focused on the big leagues, we have stuff coming at you from the prospect world, and we're tying it in with the World Series. Before we get to that, I welcome in my good pal, Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello. This uh, this uh, podcast episode is brought to you by coffee. Uh, <laughs> coffee, when baseball games go until 1.30 in the morning on the East Coast. Dude, so, like, I obviously... Okay, so he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. I'm the one in Denver. He's the one in New York. So last night, I'm working uh, a shift. I'm finishing off uh, a story for uh, our Milby Awards, which we're going to talk about here momentarily in our first strike of our three-strike segment. And, uh, you know, like, I'm finishing it up. Game's getting late. It's getting a little bit drawn out. I look at the clock, and I'm like, well, it's only like 10, 10, 15, whatever it is. But I never think about myself in terms of where I am and like the, the spectrum of time zones when it comes to sports. Cause the mountain time zones in a very good, we're like right in the sweet spot. Like things don't start too late or start too early. Everything's pretty much good. I saw somebody tweet yesterday, like people on the East coast are like, Oh man, I've been waiting all day for the world series. I can't wait. And people on the West coast are like, Oh man, I just finished lunch. I might as well watch the world series now. Which is kind of <laughs> how it felt. But I didn't even think about the fact that like that game went so late for East coasters. That was like one thirty when it was done. Yeah. I got a little too comfy on my couch. I may have slept between <laughs> innings 12 and 13, but I did see 14. It's the right time uh, it, to sleep. I though. did see the uh, Alex Gordon home run. So I think I was the key. I think is what I'm getting at here. That thing I was slept absurd. Through all the non-important stuff. That was and, absolutely uh, that home run. Come on, Gordo. Yeah. They're going to be talking about that in Kansas that? City for a while. Just how good Familia has been. Yes. You know, postseason, regular season, yada, yada. You talk to anybody who's ever faced him. He's got some of the most wicked stuff in the majors and then just popped it off like that to deep center. That was crazy. That was uh, one of the more entertaining playoff games we've had in a very long time, and it was game one of the World Series. I hope we get six more games that are even half that good. Yeah, that would, that would be, be nice. One heck of a fun series. So welcome into the 31st edition of the show, and uh, this is what you call synergy in the world of media or something like that. New York Mets number two prospect Brandon Nimmo will join the show here in just a little bit. Got a chance to catch up with Brandon, who is basically the number one prospect in the organization because the one guy ahead of him is Steven Matz, who's up at the major league level right now and in the World series and we'll talk a little bit of world series here momentarily but we're going to get started with three strikes uh from the milb.com point of view which is today we started rolling out our milby stories the best in minor league baseball for the 2015 season and we got things underway today uh rolling out a couple of stories uh best starter best reliever we've got all kinds of stuff coming up later on in the week but uh this is one of our funnest things that we get to do from season to season is write these stories and get to talk to guys about their great years. And I get a chance to talk to Blake Snell, uh, who is honored as our vote, the writer's vote, the MILB.com vote for starting pitcher of the year in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Our own Kelsey Hennigan got a chance to talk with Oliver Drake, uh, the Baltimore Orioles organization, who is our reliever of the year. But Sam, some of your thoughts from uh, our first couple of Milby categories. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was no surprise, at least to any of us. I mean, it was a staff vote, so we do. Get, this is stuff we talk about all year long, anyways. But uh, Blake Snell was such an obvious pick for starting pitcher of the year. Um, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about it because you did get to write it. But Blake is a uh, you know podcast guest, as was his manager in Durham, uh, Sandberg, 
And so, you know, go back, listen to that stuff. You can listen to them talk about it on on our podcast. But uh, reading your feature on Blake, it, it was exactly what we've seen at him all year. He talked a lot about the mental side, about the growth that he's kind of gone into the through the race system. Um, just the dominant year he had. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about the numbers all all over the place at ERA under two, so much loads and loads of strikeouts. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you. And what, what were your conversations with him like and the guys around him? You know, it's kind of funny because we had to basically do the same interview that we did on the podcast just a few weeks ago. Like, well, you know, kind of tell me some of the thoughts you have coming out of this season. It's such a breakout year for you. But again, I mean, every time you talk to Blake Snell, and I tweeted this out today, he's one of our favorite interviews in baseball because he tells you what he's really thinking. And he gave me kind of more unique stuff this time around than even what he gave us last time, which was phenomenal stuff because he's always evaluating. I think that's what you take away from talking to Blake Snells. He's always figuring out what's going right, what's going wrong, and what he's able to do to correct the things that are not necessarily up to par with him. That's been the biggest difference with him over the last couple of seasons. 2013, he really struggled. He was in Class A Bowling Green, and Jared Sandberg, oddly enough, was his manager there. and was his manager again this year with AAA Durham. And I think that's what Blake and what Jared both said was he really started to notice he couldn't just go out on talent and beat guys. It wasn't enough for him to just go out, be the guy that he was in high school, and and compete against professional hitters. So he really started to realize over the offseason he's got to eat better. He's got to work out better. He's got to take better care of his body. In season, if he needs to make a mechanical adjustment, that's something he has to be open to doing. And nobody has ever articulated the way that they see results better than Blake Snell to me. Most guys will say, you know, I mean, I, I did this, and it resulted in this, and whatever. But with Blake Snell... It's like he's in awe of the way that his body and his mechanics and his work respond when he does the little things that it takes to be successful. And that's what I thought was really, really cool about getting another chance to talk to him. And he said that his biggest adjustment was something mental. And this was his quote. He said, quote, I really thought about from a hitter's view, the best hitter on my team gets out all the time. It makes no sense why I never really thought about that. As a hitter, you're going to get out more than get on. They have to have a perfect swing pretty much is how I feel to really hit the ball good. And even on their perfect swings, they're going to mess up. Maybe the ball will go off the end of the bat or off the inside of the bat. There's so much that can happen that I just thought, who cares? Just throw it. If they hit it, they hit it. And he said for the first couple seasons of his pro career, he was so concerned with not letting guys touch the ball. That's why he nibbled around the strike zone, didn't want to give guys anything to hit. The walk rate was too high. Wasn't striking out the amount of guys that he really wanted to strike out. And then it all clicked. In 2014, he just figured, man, I got a defense behind me. More often than not, these guys are going to get out anyway. I'm just going to let him hit the ball. And that's where he really took off. And Jared Sandberg kind of said the same thing. But just one of the really, really fascinating guys to get to talk to about the inner workings of what it takes to be a successful pitcher at the professional level. And another Northwestern guy uh, from uh, Matt Boyd from the Detroit Tigers organization, formerly a Toronto Blue Jays prospect, he won the fan vote. And Oregon State product uh, and an Oregon native, I believe, as well. Matt Boyd uh, tweeted that out and tweeted it at Blake Snell. Actually, I take that back. He's a Washington native. He's from Bellevue, Washington, which is not too far away from where Blake Snell is from in Seattle. Uh, Bellevue is just a suburb, and Matt Boyd went on to Oregon State, and Blake Snell joined the Rays out of uh, out of high school. And we've talked, you know, Reese McGuire, we talked to last week. He's another Northwest guy. We've talked with so many of those guys lately, it feels like. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was really cool to see those two guys kind of bond over that as well. And, and Matt Boyd, another really fitting choice, dominated double-A while with the Blue Jays, moved up to triple-A, and eventually was traded over to the Tigers, finished the year in the big leagues, but really cool to get a chance to talk to Blake Snell again and get kind of another look at a, a post-mortem on his season. 
Yeah, I really like that point you made about just kind of his control and his command and the idea of just throwing it in the zone because that was the knock on him a couple of years ago was that he just had control problems. He walked, as you noted in the story, 6.6 batters per nine innings. I mean, that's not exactly exciting for anybody to see at any level, um, especially when they're trying to grow like that. That's something they can iron out over time, and Snell has shown um, what that's like, and that's kind of a sign of way, where the game is going, too, in terms of BIP and trying to understand balls in play and how you know pitchers can affect that kind of thing and hitters can't that 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 whole thing that just the, the quotes he provided in your story and the ones you used just show the maturity level of this guy too and uh, we'll be excited to see him next year probably starting at AAA but you know knowing just how kind of uh, confident the guy is I mean he said on the pod we talked about this before um, you know he he wants to be an all-star next year, not a triple a all-star, not an international league all-star. He wants to be a major league all-star next year. So we'll see him carry that to the spring and see if the Rays can find a spot for him. If not earlier in the year, if not on opening day, maybe halfway through or something like that. Um, kind of moving over to the reliever. Um, as you mentioned, Kelsey Hennigan wrote this up for us. Uh, Oliver Drake was our, was the staff pick for minor league reliever of the year. Uh, Drake was a 43rd round pick of the Orioles back in 2008 um, actually re-signed with the team, re-signed a minor league contract this year um, was going to be, they knew coming into the year that he was going to be the closer at Norfolk ended up posting a 0.82 ERA in 44 innings. There struck out 66 batters in that time, walked only 66. So he had a 0.89 whip. I mean, these are just dominant numbers across the board. Got a couple call-ups to the big leagues uh, for the first time. Um, Kelsey had a cool end to the story in that Drake is a uh, Central Mass native. Um, he grew up around the Worcester area, uh, went to a private school around there too, and uh, got to pitch this year in Fenway. So she talked about w- what that journey was like going from you know a guy who was a very, very low pick. He came out of the Naval Academy, um, you know, grew up a lot in that experience as, as many young people do. And then became, you know, a 43rd round pick that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, went through some surgery back in, I think, 2012. Uh, and it had to become a reliever. And now is just a very dominant one in the Orioles, Orioles system. Uh, the Orioles didn't make it easy on us. They named both him and Michael Givens their co-pitchers of the year, named after Jim Palmer, that award. Um, so we there was a little bit of split amongst the staff, but Oliver Drake ended up taking that and if you get a chance to check out Kelsey's story, he talks a lot about his journey and how, you know, you go from a guy who's a very, very low pick. Um, you know, those guys get discarded very, very easily. So they have to show something. And then he go, went through surgery and there were just so many obstacles for this guy coming in. And now he's, you know, a bona fide major leaguer and, uh, and a minor league award winner. So we'll see what happens to him going forward. Uh, Jake Smith took the fan vote in San Jose. Uh, he struck out a career high 118 and 84 in the third inning, so it was kind of a long man out of the San Jose uh, bullpen over there in the Cal League. Had a 2.35 ERA in a very, very tough league to pitch in. So the fans were very excited to see him, and that's that's what we have up so far on the site. Like Tyler said, we're, we'll have more of these features coming up with our staff picks, and then you can find out who won the fan votes. Uh, I think we had... We dipped well into the six figures in terms of votes this year, so it was uh, exciting to see those pile in and uh, 
now you'll all get to see what the results were. The uh, the Orioles, I mean, like you said, Oliver Drakeoff has a very cool story in his own right. Michael Givens, who doesn't win either of these awards, but won the, the co-pitcher of the year for the Orioles in their system. Another really cool story is a converted infielder. Um, yeah. So it's neat to see the Orioles discovering these, you know, sort of diamonds in the rough. And, and such a cool story for Oliver Drake to, to keep at it through seven-plus years in the minor leagues before you finally get your first major league call-up. So many guys get to that point where they think, Either it's not going to happen for me or it's not going to happen for a long time and this isn't worth it anymore. And to see somebody stick with it through that long from the 43rd round out of a service academy in 2008 to make your debut this year is a pretty remarkable thing. So congratulations to Oliver Drake and uh, congratulations as well to Jake Smith and to Matt Boyd and to, to Blake Snell. And we had a whole lot of fun writing those and we got all kinds of Milby stories coming up later on in the week. Strike two this week. It's World Series time. We had a crazy game one last night. We're recording, obviously, on Wednesday. Game two coming up here in just a few hours. But we're going to dive into sort of the minor league aspect of the Major League World Series and uh, a headline that just kind of fell into everyone's lap. Raul Montesi Jr. is uh, possibly one Ned Yost move away from making his Major League <laughs> debut in the World Series, which would be the first time that has ever happened what like what this is sam kind of explain to us how this came about Montesi was added to the world series roster and there is a chance that he will make his debut i don't think it's a very high chance i think if we were going to see it it would have been in a game like last night but you never know uh just right. take us through this this crazy raul Montesi story yeah so it just kind of came about that the royals were working him out um you know it, circumstances are a little different in the world series you're going to uh, they're going to be playing in City Field in games three, four, and five. So it's it's going to be slightly different in that, you know, there's there might be more double switches. Like you said, it, it, one Ned Yost move away. And as much as we like to think we've seen him through the playoffs these last two years, there's always a, a move that he'll make that kind of makes you scratch your head. <laughs> so, you know, he wanted to carry the extra infielder. They They had Terrence Gore, who was the pinch runner extraordinaire, only came in to pinch run. Uh... And they decided, are we going to carry the extra outfielder or the extra infielder? And they decided, you know, Mondesi, he's a plus defender. If they're going to use him just for middle infield depth, he's a very, very good shortstop. Um, everything you read about him is that he's very fast. He didn't quite show that, like, monster, you know, if we're talking about uh, uh, Billy Hamilton speed, he does, doesn't quite have that, but uh, – uh, MLB.com has given him a 70 for his run tool. He swiped 19 bases in 25 attempts this year at AA Northwest Arkansas. Um, really should not hit much in this World Series. Uh, he's, he's a very young guy. They've pushed him up aggressively at every level. Um, he only hit 243 with a 279 on base percentage, 372 uh, slugging percentage. So, he, you know, he's not exactly a prolific hitter yet, but that was at AA as a 20-year-old. So, you know, he, those results aren't exactly expected. Now he's in the majors for on the biggest stage of the majors. So not much is expected of him in terms of hitting. If anything, he'll just be, you know, a late game defensive replacement if they need it at shortstop with Alcides Escobar or maybe at second base if Ben Zobris needs a blow and they don't want to go to Christian Cologne, something like that. Um, they would just rather have his legs, I think, more than anything. But you're right. I mean, this was, this really came out of left field. Um, and we'll, we'll see if, if Ned actually ends up using him, if he gets a, 
if he ends up getting, you know, a pinch run attempt here, here or there and becomes the first rookie to make his major league debut in the World Series, if nothing else, that'll be a story that Raul Mondesi will be able to carry for uh, the rest of his days. We, you know, I mean, like you said, we've seen the, the Royals make some crazy moves in the past, uh, whether it's, you know, on field, um, things like game one's bunt attempt uh, with a lot of people scratching their heads in trying to get a lead uh, late in that game with Lorenzo Cain at the plate. Now, it turns out today that wasn't actually a Ned Yost move. Apparently, Lorenzo Cain put that bunt on himself. But the point being, the Royals kind of make you sometimes leave you wondering what is going to happen next. So there's a chance that we could actually see this uh, come about. And for Raul Mondesi, that's a guy who's been through some knocks at the levels that he's seen already in his career. I mean, the the Royals have tested him at high levels through every step of his career, basically, to this point. He's always a, a young guy or the youngest guy in his league or in his level uh, in his classification going into a season. He was only 20 years old this entire year. Uh, started the season in 19. 19-20, spent the entire year in AA, uh, 81 games with Northwest Arkansas. There's a whole lot of, of promise and talent there. And in the certain circumstances where he can be used – the Royals have a very dynamic guy. I mean, we've seen them do that in the past, use guys in big spots that have speed, that can change a game. And if you're a Royal, how, how exciting is that to just have these guys, these phenom talents you can just bring up, give that call, and it hasn't been this circumstance before, have a guy make his Major League debut in the World Series. But the fact that you even have that option is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have the tools in the shed, you might as well use them. Um, so, you know, he was postseason eligible. He was technically on in the Royals organization on August 31st. Um, they had to clear a 40 man spot for him. They had to D DFA Jabba Chamberlain, um, which is, you know, a little disappointing. He's a he's a native of the area, but uh, he wasn't going to pitch in, in the World Series, obviously. So they, they made that move to, to clear the spot. And yeah, the, you know, he's got the wheels. He's got the, the glove. If they need him, they have him and might as well use him if he's in the organization. So with that, we segue very, uh, very well into uh, strike three for this week, which is uh, predicated on guys like Roel Modesty. Four teams left standing, the final four teams in Major League Baseball's 2015 postseason picture. The two eliminated clubs, the Chicago Cubs and the Toronto Blue Jays, and the two teams that have advanced to the World Series, the Kansas City Royals and the New York Mets. This is sort of a topic that we were going to cover last week, but we will get a chance to dive into it a little bit more now. If you had to pick one of those teams, the the top system going forward the brightest future going forward of those four clubs sam if you wanted to pick a team to be a fan of for the next five years let's say who gets your vote out of those four yeah well i think it really comes down to the two national league teams um in terms of system in terms of major league talent right now um you know the royals are obviously in their second straight world series you you it's a great time to be a royals fan especially if your name is paul rudd um but <laughs> You know, He's they, like like one of the coolest celebrity guys you could have. Celebrity fans you could have. Yeah, this like. must be like the two years of Paul Rudd. He had Ant Man come out, yeah, which was a huge smash. Now he's an action star. Now he's just generally Paul Rudd in general. Paul Rudd can do nothing wrong. Paul Rudd right. is like the Theo Epstein of Hollywood. <laughs> I like that. We'll take it's that. fitting. It's fitting for so, this topic, not necessarily right, exactly. the same team. So but we'll, okay. we'll use that to streamline into the Cubs. Then um, <laughs> you know, the Royals have me. I, I don't think they quite have the system that the Cubs do. Obviously, the Cubs graduated a bunch of really young talent this year. 
uh, between, you know, Schwarber and Bryant and Addison Russell and Javier Baez didn't necessarily graduate this year, but is still very young and Castro still under contract for a very long time. And CJ Edwards got a blow, you know, up there just to get a taste of what major league action is going to be like. So I, I really think it starts with the Cubs and you have to even like it more because this organization has shown that they're willing to spend the money. They signed John Lester. Um, you know, there's going to be more pitching free agents coming up. They have Jake Arrieta there who, you know, may never have a season quite like he did this year again, but he's going to be very, very good going forward. Um, so a lot of excitement for the Cubs. I I want to pick them. I just, I, I really, 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 really like what the Mets have. Um, I think pitching is so hard to find in this game. I, you saw that, you know, the Cubs spent through the nose to get uh, John Lester last year, and he ended up being their number two pitcher. Um, so when you have, you know, the stable of arms that the Mets have going forward, all controllable pitching too. Um, you're talking about the four that are starting in this World Series between Harvey and DeGrom and Syndergaard and Steven Matz. Um, yeah, I think Harvey's going to be the first free agent. He doesn't become a free agent until before the 2019 season. So this is all very controllable talent, and you're already seeing some of it with Conforto and, uh, you know, the guy we're going to be talking to later here with Brandon Nimmo. Um, that talent or the system itself is stocked. Is stacked. I really, really like Dominic Smith. I think he could, you know, someday Lucas Duda is probably going to regress, and then Dominic Smith is certainly coming up. I, I really like the way he ended the season. I like the way he's playing in the AFL now. Um, so I think the industry wide idea would be to take the Cubs kind of be the contrarian, uh, to embrace debate and I'm using air quotes. You can't see it, but even Tyler can't see it, but I'm saying it in that kind of voice. Uh, I'll take the Mets. What about okay. you, Tyler? You know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head saying that the conversation sort of begins and ends with the National League clubs here. And I would, it's not inside the parameters of this discussion, but I think you could throw the Los Angeles Dodgers in oh, to sure. this conversation, Absolutely. certainly, uh, if we weren't just going with the top four finishers. But, um, you know, I'm going to go with the Cubs just because the Cubs, unlike some of these other teams, didn't give up a lot to continue to be successful. And we for so long thought the Cubs were going to have to deal some of these top names in order to get pitching talent that would push them over the top and into the postseason. It wasn't going to be Chris Bryant. We knew that. It wasn't going to be Addison Russell because of the way he was acquired. But Jorge Soler or Kyle Schwarber or Javier Baez or some of those guys you figured were probably going to be dangled at some point to try to land a premier starter because the position player prospects for the Cubs were so ridiculously loaded compared with the pitching talent. And then the pitching talent held up its end of the deal. So yeah. I think, you know, the Cubs are probably the team you look at because they haven't had to relinquish many of those assets um, behind them. I think the Mets are the same way. Uh, the Royals, I mean, the Royals are going to continue to be exciting because of the way they play ball right now. Uh, just their style lends them to being a very exciting team and their minor league teams emulate that. But again, I mean, this is a team that shipped away Brandon Finnegan. Sean Manaya is gone. We haven't seen the giant steps forward that we expected for some, uh, some other guys like Kyle Zimmer. Now, you know, a little bit lower down on that list, Hunter Dozier has been very good. Bubba Starling had a breakout year this year. So the Royals are there. The the Jays of all these teams are probably the one that you look at as being most built to win 
Obviously, they didn't do it this year, so maybe 2016, maybe 2017, but Daniel Norris is gone from that team now. Jeff Hoffman is gone from that team now. Miguel Castro is gone. Uh, Max Pentecost, who's a very highly touted prospect, we haven't really seen what he can do as a professional because of injuries yet, so they probably check in as number four, but uh, you know, to to take the easy company line, I guess the Cubs are probably the team that excites you the most, but I think what maybe excites you even more is that they still have all those options of if they want to go out and land some huge they still have an absurd amount of talent in the minor leagues that could serve as currency to acquire something bigger going uh, for the major league team going into 2016 so that's what excites you most if you're a Cubs fan is you're so loaded with talent right now you're playing with such house money and you already made the playoffs in 2015 I mean that yeah for them for the Astros yeah so that's my to be a couple wins away from the World Series like this and I mean, you got to think that that has an effect on the free agent market right. too. I mean, Le- right. Lester had the Theo connection. They they certainly threw enough money at him to make that work. But if you're a free agent with the Cubs, you know they're tied down in so much young talent that I think that frees up some money to spend on you know another arm or you know whatever whatever else they want. Really, um, it's probably going to be pitching going forward if they're looking into this year. Maybe David Price, something like that. But um, you know, just the amount of young talent, young controllable talent they have that frees up so much for a, obviously a big market team. And the same thing for the Mets. I mean, you know, if the Mets are going to have their four best pitchers all be working, you know, in a way, rookie contracts, um, non-free agent contracts, I guess is a better way to put it, then that does free up a little money. I know they've had financial problems, but, uh, you know, maybe once Michael Kadire comes off the books or something like that, they can go off and get another big bat that could help them moving forward again. So two promising teams definitely going forward. We would not be surprised if there's an NLCS uh, rematch next yeah. year or coming up in the next five years. And again, oh, by the way, there's the Dodgers who are right in this conversation, too, yeah, if we expand we'll it out. And, and on the other side, there are the Astros in the American League side or kind of the same thing. Uh, in terms of promising futures, so it's this maybe the the funnest thing about 2015. We talked all season long about how it's the year of the prospect, but even though we might not see another year quite like 2015, the teams that are succeeding are doing it in a way that feels sustainable because they yeah. still have so much talent coming up. You don't see the big spending Red Sox Yankees teams of the mid, the early and mid two thousands, just buying up major league talent and then riding that into the postseason of the world series. Uh, the blue Jays are maybe closest to that, but the blue Jays still had tons of contributions from guys who came up through the system. So that's what makes 2016 and beyond really, really exciting as well. And uh, you know, so if we're going to rank the, the Mets one and two in that conversation, might as well talk to the guy who's right now at the very top of that organization of minor league talent rankings. The number one prospect in the system is Steven Matz. He's up at the major league level pitching in the World Series. Number two is Brandon Nimmo. We are going to catch up with the Cheyenne, Wyoming native. We're going to talk about his 2015 season, what it's like to be a member of the Mets organization right now at a very exciting time, and the outlook for 2016 going forward for the number two prospect in the New York Mets organization. Brandon Nimmo joins the show next. <laughs> Picked a good week to have a New York Mets prospect on the 31st edition of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show podcast. All credit goes to Sam on uh, on the booking front for that because Brandon Nimmo joins the show here on episode number 31. Uh, and Brandon, it's got to be a, a heck of a fun time right now to be uh, in that system and you know be a guy, number two ranked prospect in the system. The one guy ahead of you in MLB Pipeline's rankings is in the big leagues right now and Steven Matz. And it's got to be a lot of fun to be a Mets prospect right now. 
Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, you know, it's it's an honor to be a part of their their uh, their system right now, and um, just a great organization. Uh, as you can see, you know, they're in the World Series now and, and seeing some success of uh, work that's been put in, uh, you know, in the past, and so. Uh, really starting to see some of this young talent come up and, and make an impact. And uh, obviously some of those key signings that uh, Sandy made, um, you know, around deadline, around the trade deadline, uh, have, have really made an impact as well. So uh, I really just think that you're seeing a, a well-run organization come together at the right time. And uh, obviously it doesn't hurt that uh, Murphy, you know, went as hot as a firecracker at the right time either. So, um uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun organization to be a part of right now. Um, obviously, um, doing well, but still, I think, you know, even more room to, to get better, and, and it's going to continue to get, to get better, and I think that's the greatest part about it. Well, Brandon, let's talk a little bit first about your career, your climb uh, to where you are right now. This season, majority of the time that you spent was uh, with the AA Binghamton Mets in the Eastern League, 32 games with the AAA Las Vegas 51s and the PCL to finish it off. And that kind of put you back closer to home. And that's one of the topics that we want to discuss. You're a Cheyenne native and uh, people don't know. Unless you're kind of from that area, there's no high school baseball in Wyoming. There's American Legion ball, which is really prevalent, but everybody's so sparsely spread out across the state of Wyoming. It's not like you can just hop in the car and go for a 20-minute bus ride and you're at comparable size schools to play a meaningful high school season. So you didn't even play high school ball, which is kind of crazy in Wyoming. You're the first ever draft pick in the first round out of the state of Wyoming. What is that like now to kind of be the guy who's carrying the flag or the torch for the state of Wyoming? at this point in your career you know um it, it, it's it's an, it's an honor uh, it's another honor to to have um you know i i just really uh we tried to not worry about where we came from and and uh you know our past experiences and just um dad used to just always tell me you know if you're good enough they'll find you and uh you know that that really did come uh to fruition and uh you know happened to you know, be blessed, uh, you know, to be able to play this game uh, at a high level. And, um, you know, high school ball here, uh, like you said, just not um, – it, it's not really in the books because you, you do have to travel so far. And um, and the, the weather really isn't that great here in February and March. Um, in April, you're even still testing it. So, um, you know, just a – it would be a tough, tough season to have. Um, Cold weather, long trips, probably getting snowed out a lot on those long trips. So, um, you know, we just played American Legion baseball. We tried to go to some warmer weather um, earlier on in in, um, in, the, in the season. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I really got used to the travel, and so that was good. That was really good for preparing me for minor league ball because um, lots of travel in minor league ball and lots of bus rides. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily I had a great coach. Um, and a great father, um, and a bit an older brother who kind of you know they all paved the way for me and um, you know figured out things um, that that worked and things that didn't. And so um, I got to be the benefit of that. Um, unfortunately, brother was the guinea pig of it, and uh, same with you know my coach. I'm kind of kind of pioneering a a way and actually creating a dynasty out here, and, and uh, you know making Cheyenne baseball something uh, worth talking about. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's an honor to be, you know, to be a part of that. And hopefully, you know, I, I'm now the guinea pig in the, in the minor league system uh, and, and trying to figure out how to get to the big leagues. Um, so hopefully that, uh, 
hopefully that will come to fruition. That's uh, obviously the biggest dream of mine. Um, and and uh, really, you know, working as hard as I can for it. But, um, you know, it's, it's a great honor, and I'm just trying to control what I can control and uh, leave the rest, you know, that, that, that's out of my control. Just, just not let it worry me and just try and not have no regrets about what I, what I do and, and the work that I put in. And as long as I do that, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day and, uh, and be okay with it. Um, so really that's my goal, and uh, we'll see how far that takes me. Yeah, and we'll kind of get to the major league stuff, what it's going to take for that next step in a little bit. But one thing I, w- I kind of want to ask about, you know, talking about growing up in Wyoming and, you know, being from a cold-weather state like that, um, just reading up a little bit, what were you like as a high school athlete? You know, I, I read you did a couple different sports. I think gymnastics may have been involved or something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But what kind of athlete were you like? And you said before, um, you know, if you're good, they'll find you. So how did the Mets discover you? How did scouts discover you while you were on these American Legion barnstorming tours? Uh, yeah, well, uh, first and foremost, uh, it wasn't, didn't do gymnastics, but, okay. uh, All right. I sure, that I, was... sure did, I sure did need it because I, I was a <laughs> flexible, uh, flexible guy in, uh, growing up. I, actually, my, my nickname when I was younger was, uh, was Tin Man because, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even hardly touch my toes when I was like 12 years old. Uh, oh, I know that. So, I still can't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I definitely uh, am wound tight. So I definitely needed a lot of uh, some gymnastics in my life would have been all right. But, uh, you know, I, I actually ran indoor track um, and, and I did that and I, and I did some basketball, but, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't too great of a shooter. Uh, was just a good athlete, so played defense well and you know could rebound and all that jazz. But uh, wasn't a great shooter, so I went to indoor track and ended up being a um, state champion in the 400 meter dash in that. Um, and, uh, and and our team ended up winning uh, the state championship. The the got the men did, um, and so that was a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, that really helped with my running technique. Um, I. And not, and still not a great. Um, it's not very fun to to watch me run. I don't, I don't look good when I run. Um, you know, I'm not like those sprinters that you watch. But, um, but I am wound tight, like I said, and uh, that seems to make me fast. And I take long strides, and so uh, when I get going, I can cover a lot of ground. And and so track helped out with that a lot, um, and, and kind of how to uh, how to condition the body. Um, and then football was um, was right up there with baseball. Um, Loved football, uh, played it, um, you know, as much as I could. Um, and then my junior year, um, I ended up blowing my ACL. Um, and so that was the end of my, the end of my football career. Unfortunately, um, had a lot of fun with that. That taught me a lot of mental toughness, um, how to just keep getting knocked down and, and keep getting back up and, and bringing it, um, uh, every down. And, um, and so I really, really enjoyed football. I think I, I learned a lot of stuff from that, uh, from that game and from the coaches and the strength training that we did there. Um, so as an athlete, you know, I, that's, that's all I was. I was, I was just a good athlete. I mean, I, uh, it was just raw talent um, and, uh, you know, nothing that I did to, to earn it. Um, just very busty and, and uh was fast, could jump. I think I could dunk in, uh, in like, I think ninth grade is when I dunked for the first time. Wow. And, oh, man. Um, right. So, I mean, I, I, I was just athletic. Uh, you know, I was I was going to the basketball gym, and, 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 you know, I would go and two-hand dunk it, and the basketball coach would say, 
you need to come out for basketball. I'm like, you know what? I really am not that good at it. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just an athlete, you know. That's all. That's all. That's all it is. And and so I, as long as nobody's out here on the court, yeah, I'll, I can go up there and do that stuff. But so it was a lot of raw, um, undeveloped talent. Now baseball wise, I've been doing that since I was nine years old. Um, knew baseball very well, was around it all the time. Well, competitively since I was nine years old. Um, and so uh, we would travel, you know, when I was younger. I would go watch Bryce at Nebraska. Um, I would, um, you know, go to uh, – we'd go to major league games as much as we could in Coors Field. That wasn't a whole lot, but, you know, it was the closest place for us. So I was just immersed in baseball, really had a love for it. Dad would watch the Rockies every night. And so that one I was a little more skilled in. And then when Dad built the, uh, the barn in our backyard – um, I was able to go out there, you know, oh, two or three nights a week or sometime, you know, just but just go hit off the tee. And that's really where um, I think some consistency in my swing came into play. Um, you know, Dad and I, that was our thing, uh, was, was baseball. And, um, we, we were able to do that a lot with that barn that he built in the back. Um, and so that one I was just a little, a little more skilled at. Um, the, rest, the rest of my sports career was just um, – I was a raw athlete who – was just naturally strong, fast, um, and, you know, could jump. And uh, so just, just a raw athlete. So that was me in high school and, you know, honestly still is. Um, I have a lot of raw attributes to me, but trying to become more refined on, on the baseball skills end of it. Yeah, and, and kind of with that in mind, um, actually, before I ask you this next question, just for the record, I, I was looking back and I, I confused the word gymnasium because you guys were practicing so much at Legion with gymnastics, yeah. and that's that's my problem. Yeah. that's my fault. Yeah, indoor, that makes a lot more sense. A lot. Yeah, we were right. always in gymnasium. Yeah, we were always in there practicing baseball, and uh, and that was yeah, our basketball court was our baseball field. That's how it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I can imagine, and. Well, just kind of looking forward now, you, you were saying, you know, you're still a kind of a raw talent. Um, like Tyler said, you know, you finished the year in Las Vegas, but um, that is one step away from the majors. What do you think it is that you need to do to make that next jump? I mean, we, we've seen Mets prospects uh, lately, you know, make that jump, Conforto this year, Mats. Uh, what do you yeah. think you need to do to make that n- n- next step? I think, um, I, think, I think it's just consistency. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, I know that I have the talent to play in the big leagues, um, and I show it off at points, uh, but I think it's just a matter of being more consistent at it. And, uh, and so that's just a matter of simplifying things and letting the game slow down. And, and the way you do that is you, you play more games, and uh, it becomes more natural to you. And, uh, you know, reactions take over rather than thinking. And uh, really that's, that's going to be the most important thing for me is that, you know, uh, my habits and my reactions are, are the right decisions. And, uh, and, you know, just making sure that I repeat that over and over again until, um, until, you know, just, uh, you make very, very, very few mistakes. And that's what I see in big leagues is just the few mistakes that are made are, are punished. And, um, and so that's, that's where I need to be. Um, and, uh, you know, really just, trying to play as many games, uh, stay healthy. I mean, that's, that's, that's more than half the battle right there, staying healthy. So just taking care of your body, um, you know, making sure that you're doing the right stuff in the off season, that, that's all going to contribute to being more consistent uh, in the season and getting the at-bats in the games 
um, and experiences that I need to um, to get the right uh, right reactions in the game. Brandon, let me ask you this. Um, growing up, you kind of alluded to this. You had, you know, coaches and your dad and, and your brother who really helped you along. And uh, you said that Bryce was somewhat of a guinea pig for you to be able to follow coming out of Wyoming. And uh, he going into the 2004, had he been drafted in the 2004 MLB draft, was the top prospect in the Rocky Mountain region, according to Baseball America. He goes off to college, plays big D1 ball in Nebraska, made a college World Series his freshman year. You had a D1 commitment to fall back onto Arkansas if you didn't go out at a high school uh, to the Mets, but to be able to watch that and and learn from what your brother went through, and he doesn't go through the minor league grind the way that you've had to go through. But how did that help you in your minor league career? Watching what that was like to to play at a high level and go through the travel and go through the you know, I mean, he's got to deal with academics and that kind of stuff on, on the side. Right. Uh, what did that provide for you going into your professional career? Being able to watch somebody, especially somebody you're so close with, go through that. Uh, it was instrumental. I mean, I do not think that I would be in the place that I'm at. Uh, without Bryce, and and so um, I think he has as much credit as, as anybody um, for me being, you know, uh, a first round pick out of out of Wyoming, and uh, I think that he should get as much recognition as me out of that because um, he, like I said, he was the guinea pig for that, and uh, you know he had to go in and figure out uh, a lot of the intricacies and a lot of the just the things that you don't really know that until you go through it about baseball and uh and really just uh really just being your 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 own best coach you really got to know yourself you really have to be confident in yourself i mean confidence is um there's a difference between confidence and being cocky but you know having that confidence in yourself is is instrumental and you do not you do not make it uh in baseball without without having confidence in yourself because there's going to be a lot of times where uh, you look like the worst player in the world, but you should never be there. So um, someone's going to have to convince yourself, and it's going to have to be you, that you belong in that um, just a bad day or a bad at-bat or whatever it may be, but, you know, it's all going to be okay, and you're going to come back and be better than ever. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things like that that I had to learn and, and how um, physically conditioned you need to be. Um, him going through the weights program there and uh, seeing him – uh, transform, uh, you know, during college was also made me realize uh, kind of how you have to how you have to be. And then, luckily, I got to see a little bit of uh, Alex Gordon uh, freshman year. He ended up being, I think, number two pick that that year, and I got to see how he went about his business and uh, kind of what he looked like. And I was like, oh, you know what, uh, he's not like you know, an absolutely ginormous guy and, uh, you know, just an athletic guy who got a sweet swing from the left side and is athletic. And so I got to see and kind of realize a little bit uh, what it takes. And uh, so going through that, he would always bring back information. Uh, here's what to do. Here's what not to do, um, you know, on uh, on making yourself better. And, uh, and so him going through that draft process also, you know, we, we were able to uh, had some scouts come in. Actually, the Mets were uh, – I remember the Mets coming in, and I remember uh, the Mets uh, uh, scout that, that saw me, uh, actually saw my brother play. And, and you know, it was uh, Jim Reeves, and he came in and, uh, you know, was high on Bryce. And, and uh, then it was funny that he ended up being high on me, um, you know, when I was coming through. So uh, got to got to go through that experience and uh, – it was a lot of a lot of fun, but very very beneficial. Do not think I would be in the position I'm in today without uh, his experiences. 
And uh, Brandon, just a couple more for you. Just kind of going back to present day. Um, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, fans, specifically Mets fans, must be wondering this: What is it like to be a Mets prospect watching the World Series right now with your, you know, your home, your parent club, uh, fighting for a ring like that? A couple guys you used to play with. Is it a nervous experience? Is it an excited experience? What do you like at home watching these games? Um, excited. I mean, I, and nervous uh, because I do have a, a relationship with with most most of these guys on on the team, um, going through spring training and and uh, workouts with them. So um, I do have a relationship with them, and so I am rooting for them, and and, and very much so, and uh, and do get nervous for them when they come up in. Uh, big situations and do want them to win um, and so um, you know it's uh, it's a bittersweet feeling because you uh, see Michael up, up there and, and Matt's and uh, Reynolds and um, and Fulecki and uh, I see all my buddies up there and, and you know I'm like man you know I'm, I, I'm close but uh, it would be you know need to get to where they are and uh and, and, you know, I just think of Conforto and I playing together in June and now he's playing in the World Series, you know. And, um, you know, just lets me know uh, that I have a lot of work uh, still ahead of me and, and not where I want to be yet. Um, but uh, definitely supporting my team and uh, and, and, wa- and wishing the best for them and, and really um, getting excited. I mean, they, when they, you know, like when Grandy hit the home run last night, uh, was clapping and, and yelling for him uh, downstairs, and uh, you know, just uh, really rooting for him. And because how many opportunities do you get to be in a World Series as an organization? You know, it's a it's a very it's a very special time, and, and a lot of things have to go right for that. So you want to take take advantage of it while you're there. Great. So, Brandon, we're just going to kind of end on this note. Um, before we started recording this, we, we were joking a little bit about your last name. A lot of people get it confused with uh, Nemo of the Finding Nemo movie. Um, even your yeah. Twitter handle references that movie. It's you underscore found underscore Nemo. Um, so yeah. we wanted to kind of send you on this note. Um, we're going to – have you seen the movie, Finding Nemo? Yeah, I've seen the movie. Okay, cool. all right, great. No, because the, 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 we're going to ask you a couple questions about it. We're going to test you on your Finding Nemo knowledge. Oh Just boy! See. Yeah, it's been a few years, so here we go. We'll All right, right, yeah, back. we did this before with uh, Dansby Swanson, whose Twitter handle is Lieutenant Dan's after the Forrest Gump characters. Oh. <laughs> you get a more modern movie than Dansby. We had to go back right. twenty years for his, so you get a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah. and there's a sequel right, coming out. Right, that's actually going right. to be one of my questions. So, <laughs> All right. no like So we'll we'll start you out easy. Uh, fill in the blank. Forty-two blank way Sydney. Wallaby. That is correct. Ding! One, one. If we had like sports talk radio sound effects. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't have the budget for that. But pretend there was. All a right. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. The main shark. You remember the sharks in the, in the movie? The main shark's yeah. name was Bruce. From what other sea-based movie did he get his name? Oh boy. Um. The mermaid. The little mermaid. I don't oh, know. That's not a terrible guess, I guess. Uh, it was actually Jaws. The, I did the not shark, know Oh, my gosh. They the shark's name somebody... in Jaws was Bruce. Wow. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. So learn okay. something new every day. So there's one. Yeah, you and, do. Yeah, you do. I really and, thought its name was Jaws. 
I, well, was, yeah. I didn't know that he had a name. To be the quite the mechanical I... one they made was called Bruce. Interesting. Oh, okay. Go. I got you. All right. All right. And uh, as Tyler alluded, this will be our final one, so we'll see if you can crack two out of three, which is a pretty good baseball day. Uh, yeah. The people at Pixar have announced that there's a Finding Nemo sequel. Which character is the sequel going to be based on? Gory? That is correct. Ding! All right. <laughs> and a demo two for three today and two an for offseason three. day. That's so a that's 667 good. average in the offseason. That's impressive go. work. There you go. I'll take that all day. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Nimmo, the New York Mets number two ranked prospect, and it is confirmed it's Nimmo, in case you all were wondering. Uh, you can go follow Brandon on Twitter, as Sam noted, at you underscore and found underscore Nimmo, N I M M O. And uh, Brandon, we cannot thank you enough for taking all the time out of, uh, you know, we, I guess we probably distracted you from the nerves waiting around for game two of the World Series, but thank you a ton for being able to do this with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it definitely uh, got us closer to the World Series. So hopefully the Mets can take uh, take game two tonight. Let's go Mets. Benjamin Hill joins us in studio and has to follow one hell of an interview with Brandon Nimmo of the New York Mets. Uh, we set the bar very high for you today, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well, and I like when the bar's set high because Good. then I just uh, raise it even higher. Pushes you to be upward better. Upward and onward until <laughs> infinity. Uh, so welcome in. It's uh, we're, We've talked so much team rebranding. We had an interesting story this week in a league rebranding, which is not something that you hear about a whole lot, but the Southern League has a fresh new look. Tell us all about that. That's well, there's not you know too much to say with that, but how often when you do think of uh, rebranding season, which obviously – is really in full swing, October, November, December. How often do you think of a league rebranding itself? And how often do you even think that leagues have logos? I mean, if you stop and think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course the league has a logo, but you don't really think about it. So it's kind of cool for the Southern League to get uh, involved with that. It says uh, it's their first one in over two decades. And it's not a you know radical rebrand, because especially when you're dealing with a league, it's an inherently conservative institution. You're not going to, you know do the league equivalent of changing your name from the arrows to the rubber ducks or something like that. Um, so it's not some radical rebrand, but I think it, it looks pretty sharp with the uh, SL in the middle superimposed upon a baseball diamond and a circle around that. You know, Southern League established 1885. And that is one long history for the Southern League, and I guess we could dedicate a whole show to that at some point <laughs> on uh, the, the Southern League, which kind of used to be – well, yeah, we we don't even get into no, it. It's no. a long and complicated Save history. That for January. Yeah, right? exactly. The whole it's a, months of January and February. It's a long and complicated history. Um, but it was done not by Brandios, not by Studio Simon, uh, but by a guy who's been doing uh, sports branding, not so much in the minor league sphere. And uh, we talked about this before we went on air. We don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I'm particularly embarrassed by this kind of covering the logo beat. But uh, Todd. Radom. 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 Yeah. We apologize. <laughs> this, is, this is a yeah. theme of episode number 31. We're just not sure how to pronounce anybody's last name today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. R-A-D-O-M. He's done. He's great. He's a great Twitter follow and his website's awesome. So go do that. But we don't know how to say his name. Yeah. And he's done the Cycl Brooklyn Cyclones logo. And I think he's done some uh, work for minor league baseball proper, like winter meetings and that kind of stuff at times. Um, so we'll figure out how to pronounce his last name. Maybe make a list of all the na ways you could pronounce his last name, and then we'll rate him. Yeah, there. It is. <laughs> that was outstanding. That's one of the best. That's in a tight moment there. I mean, you just pulled that one very quickly, Ben. That's, That's why I'm a professional. I'm always in awe. 
So kind of going back to, you know, that that's new stuff this week. Kind of going back to last week, uh, we talked about title droughts in terms of the Cubs. Cubs are now out of the playoffs. But you got some emails about uh, teams that don't have necessarily title droughts, but just playoff droughts in particular. What, what did you find out about that? Yeah, well, last week I wrote a story on the longest title droughts throughout all of the minor league baseball leagues. And as we talked about last week, the Syracuse Chiefs have the longest title drought in minor league baseball. But I got a great email uh, just yesterday, in fact, um, from a man named uh, Chris Moyer, Christopher Moyer. And he says, okay, but I did some research and found the longest playoff droughts in minor league baseball. The longest playoff drought in major league baseball is the Seattle Mariners 2001, which really isn't that long. I actually thought there would be a team out there a little longer than that. But the longest playoff drought in minor league baseball Tyler, did you look at my tweets on this? Do you know the answer to this? I do, and I was uh, a little proud because my guess at the longest title drought was the same as this team, so I missed out on one, and I was inadvertently correct on the other. Right, so this is your uh, home state, the Colorado yeah. Springs Sky Sox. So the longest playoff drought, not just in minor league baseball, but in all major and minor league baseball, 1997 is the last time that they were in the playoffs in any way, shape, or form. And that's the longest drought uh, by quite a number of years. We have the Appy League, uh, Bristol, who are now a Pirates affiliate. They haven't been in since 2002. And then three teams that haven't been in since 05: Buffalo Bisons, Charleston River Dogs, and the Delmarva Shorebirds. So especially in the minor leagues with split seasons, with wild cards, with a small number of teams and divisions, with so much roster turnover every year, meaning that every year could be the year. You don't see too long a droughts, but um, we've got at least uh, five teams here who are going to be entering their 12th season or more in 2016 without having appeared in the playoffs. And the Sky Sox were close one time too, right? It was just a statistical anomaly that they didn't get in. Yeah, this was in the email that I was sent, and I love these kind of uh, you know very nerdy facts. But in 2009, the Sky Sox in the divisional race had a – they edged the Tacoma for the division title. They had a winning percentage of .5441, and Tacoma had won a .5439. But it was declared a statistical tie, and then the tiebreaker head-to-head record went to Tacoma. So the Colorado Springs Sky Sox just can't get a break. Security service field. That would have been uh, a very, very long time ago. They did a, a mass renovation of that ballpark, and back before then it was – in 97, when they made the playoffs, it would have been like watching a game, you know, 40 years ago because it's, uh, it's a very different look and feel down there nowadays. But that is a long, long playoff drought, especially in AAA where, you know, there are very – there's wild card bursts. There's teams like the, – the structure in AAA kind of makes it difficult to not be in the playoffs for two decades. You would think at some point things would roll around. You'd luck your way in. Yeah. I mean, I think you feel that way about a lot of things in life even when things aren't going going well. You know, you luck your way in every once some in a point. while. Yeah, but Sky Sox just can't get a break. 1997, 18 years. That's the year I graduated high school, so do the math on that. That was Todd Helton's rookie year for uh, nerdy uh, front-range baseball fans such as myself. Um, but, you know, no help to the no help to the Sky Sox at that point. Maybe it was because Todd Helton left. Maybe it was the curse of Todd Helton. They there you go. Him the yeah, everything year. needs a narrative. You know, we Nailed it. We talked last week about the Visalia Rawhide and the uh, Curse of the exactly. Alligator dating back to 1978 and Joe Charbonneau's dead pet alligator. Um, so we do need to apply the Sky Sox with an applicable curse. And um, 
yeah, we'll go with Todd Helton for now, but let's obvious. do a little research and maybe try to come up with something even more strange and ridiculous even and no sinister. doubt true. Preferably something Helton. with four legs. Yeah, exactly. See yeah. if he owned any reptiles while in the springs. Seems exactly. Like thing. Uh, Ben's got some more stuff up on the site as of right now as well, continuing to churn out stuff from uh, that last road trip through the Northeast with New Britain and Lowell and Pawtucket and what all is going on and what is coming up. Yeah, had uh, three new Lowell Spinners uh, posts come out on Ben's Biz blog just yesterday detailing my August 31st appearance at the Lowell Spinners game. Today I have a uh, couple McCoy Stadium, Pawtucket Red Sox posts coming up, and uh, I am going to get them done by the end of next week. And finally, everyone who listens to this podcast can stop hearing me promoting my in-season blog posts. And... um, I'm looking forward to being being done, just a psychological break. And once it is all done, then I can actually maybe be nice to myself and be like, wow, man, you went to a lot of places. You wrote a lot of great stuff. But right now it's that daily feeling of like, oh, man, when is this going to end? But it will end. Everything ends. Nobody's harder on himself than Benjamin Hill, but nobody does better work than Benjamin Hill either. So just know that when, when you're knocking yourself around, we love you, Ben. Thank you. I appreciate that. I need that. What a guy. Go follow him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, go follow Todd uh, Radum and then tweet at him and ask how you pronounce his last name, which I guess we could have done to try to figure it out before this interview, but it's way more entertaining for us to just debate this poor gent's last name among the three of us. Yeah, we're going to make it a (laughs) six-part series, so stay tuned next week. We'll We'll lead into it with a serial podcast music. How do you find the pronunciation of Todd's last name? Ben, thanks, man. We'll do it again uh, next week or the week after or sometime. you got a birthday and a vacation coming up. We'll we'll talk to you again. Yeah, I'll be here next week. And after that, I'm taking a break. But one more time, I'll be here and I'll talk to you. We'll do it then. Sounds good. Fall classic time. It feels like fall. It feels like fall here. It feels like fall there. It's fall. Yeah, it's a gray day out today. The yeah. I was back home over the weekend, and back in New England, all the co- leaves had changed. I had yeah. to actually help, help my family rake. I forgot how much the traumatizing <laughs> experience. Yeah, you don't have to do that in the city. That's yeah. a beautiful thing about a city. So it's officially fall. <sighs> but that means World Series time. Yeah, so that's fun. Take that. And it means Arizona Fall League time, uh, which we'll talk about here again in a minute. But, uh, okay, game one wrapped up last night. By the time you are listening to this, game two will have been wrapped up. But Sam and I are going give to give you our takes on the World Series as of where it stands right now. Kansas City Royals up one game to none on the back of a 14-inning victory in game one. And Eric Hosmer bat-flipping a sacrifice fly, which I've never seen before. <laughs> uh, Sam, your thoughts on where this series is headed after, after one night in? Yeah, I still like the Mets. I know there's a lot of data going back about how many times um, teams have won game one and gone on to win the series. Uh, but I, I just look at the way their rotation is built the rest of the way. Um, I really, really trust it. And the way the Royals could be a little screwed up based on how the the way yesterday went with Chris Young. Um, I'll be interested to see how they use him going forward. He was supposed to be their game four starter. Pitched very, very well in difficult circumstances last night in game one. But... Uh, yeah, I, I just I, I think pitching exceeds good hitting at this point of the year. That and the Mets have the bats. Obviously, Murphy's done it exceedingly well, um, and they have you know Curtis Granderson homered, uh, all those types of guys. So I think they have that right mix. Even if they drop game one, you know I'd still like them to pick up four of the next six if it, if it were to go to seven. I talking to friends, talking to people around this office, I, I had Mets in six. I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, you know, I think their their arms are just going to ride out 
you know, what has essentially been a little bit of Royals magic going forward. They, they did the same thing last year. They just, you know, hits at the, the exact right moments. And I think that kind of wears out at a certain point. I know that's not exactly scientific, um, but I think the Mets have the, the right pieces to make it, make it a good series and uh, bring a trophy back to the, back to Queens. Uh, what about you for, or what about for you, Tyler? The, the tough thing is, you know, we're all about embracing debate around here. Uh, but I agree with 100% of what you just said. All right, good. Uh, no, I thought, good and team. we'll wrap That's up episode Mets. number 31. No, um, I, I agree completely. I think when you look at the Mets, you get a, a very decent outing out of Matt Harvey yesterday. Obviously, things started off very strangely in the first inning, but Alcides Escobar notwithstanding, Harvey gives you a good outing. You end up losing that game, and then you turn to Jacob deGrom in game two. So you basically go to your de facto staff ace over another guy who could be argued as your staff ace who went in game one. You get to go in game two. Johnny Cueto did not look good in Toronto, obviously. Um, the The crazy thing about the Mets is that they just keep coming with that pitching. And that's what seems to me like it's going to carry them because there's such a, you go home, you get Noah Syndergaard. Like there's no fall off. You've got number one after number one, after number one, that's where I think eventually, and it's, you put it very well, it's not scientific, but it just seems like at some point, the numbers are going to catch up with the Royals. I mean, there's going to be a swing back to the mean for how the Royals have played. They've caught so many breaks over the last couple of seasons, and you don't want to mitigate what they've done because the Royals have come through in huge spots, and that's not an easy thing to do. They've played phenomenal baseball. But at some point, the things that have gone right for the Royals seem like the law of averages will dictate they're not going to go that way. So I think... Especially if the Mets get game two tonight. And again, by the time you're hearing this, this conversation could sound completely different. But if they get game two tonight, I still think they take it in six games. Because you go home, you get Cindergard in game three. That momentum of getting those three games at home and having the ability to go back to Kansas City leading 3-2, I think you can't stop the Mets with those arms. And again, like you said, having Chris Young, who's your number, your game four starter, come out of the bullpen for game one, does he go on short rest? Do you bring, I don't know, here's a wild card. Maybe Raul Montesi makes his debut starting pitching in game four. <laughs> Something I mean, we haven't considered. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, Ned Yost <laughs> could do whatever he wants. The new inefficiency, Sam. So, right, yeah. Throw your top infield prospects out there in game four of the World Series as yeah. so many pitchers. It's really well, going to make us all look silly. I would so. not know what to do. <laughs> so you and I are, uh, are in agreement. Um, I, I still think it's a Mets, but every Royals fan that I know, uh, which is a pretty sizable amount having gone to college in the Midwest, uh, they will all come to my house with pitchforks and, and flaming torches and stuff because Royals fans do not like that people do not believe in their team. We have learned that. And uh, either way, if game one is any indication, this is going to be one heck of a fun series. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm buckled in for sure. Um, I was buckled in before last night, and then just the amount of good bu- baseball that was played, timely hitting, good pitching in good spots. Um, yeah, this is, this is everything we could have hoped for. As I saw somebody tweet last night, you would have thought in the first inning that Alcides Escobar's leadoff inside the park home run, uh, would have been the craziest thing to happen last yeah. night. And I'm not sure it cracked the top 10, all things considered going into the, uh, the second game of the 2015 world series. So it's going to be a, a ton of fun going forward by this time next week. We'll have a much better read on, uh, who your 2015 world champion will be. Might have it decided. I doubt it, but we might have it decided by the time we record episode number 32. So, again, our biggest thanks to Brandon Nimmo, who you can follow on Twitter. He's at you underscored found underscored Nimmo, N-I-M-M-O. Big thanks to Brandon Nimmo. Big thanks, as always, to Benjamin Hill. 
Sam, you can follow on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Ben Hill is at Ben's Biz. Minor League Baseball is at M-I-L-B. And I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, until next week, when, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the, the world looks like through the, world, the eyes of a possible future world champion. Uh, we'll do it all again at that point, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Enjoy the, the remainder of the World Series until we talk to you.